Well, let's pray because we have a, a little bit of a difficult issue to deal with in the book of Acts uh, today. So let's pray and we ask God to open up our minds and our hearts to help us to understand how his word intersects with our life today. Because we might think like, oh, that was written a long time ago. That's something that happened a long time ago. But the word of God is living and active and it's happening now as we look at it together. So let's ask the spirit to teach us to open up our minds to understand what God has for us today. Heavenly Father, you are a good, good father. Scripture says you give good gifts to your children. Some of those gifts are, are wisdom, discernment, encouragement, joy in the midst of suffering and difficulty. The gift of your presence, Lord, is an amazing thing that you are here with us by the power of your spirit as we gather in Jesus' name. So as we open your word, which is another great gift you've given us, we ask that you would help us to understand how it will change our lives today. What in us needs to line up better with your word? Lord, we hear so many other things throughout the week, the news and, and conversations and things that, that don't matter that much, but sometimes they get into our minds and they, 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 they take control. And so we ask, Lord, that you would get into our minds this morning. As we look at your word, that you would shape our minds around your truth, line us up with what you have for us today so that we may grow in Christ and that we may show Christ throughout this coming week, wherever we go. Fill us up now with your word. By your spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. So in the passage, which is Acts chapter 8, it's on page, if you're using this blue Bible, that's in most of the pews. It's on page 1085. We're going to just look at a few verses in Acts, and then we're going to jump to another book in the Bible, one of the epistles, which was written by Peter. Now, Peter, we've heard about Peter. He's one of the original disciples. He was there on the day of Pentecost, filled with the Spirit. He preached the sermon, that, that great sermon on the day of Pentecost, explaining what God had done by giving his Spirit to the church. Peter has, has been used by God to do a miracle, and then been taken in by, by the, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and, and, and put on trial because of that miracle. So Peter's a very important figure. And we're going to look at a book that he wrote, First Peter, um, in, in just a minute. But before we do that, I want you to realize Peter's, Peter's in the midst of all this. And as God is working to establish his church and his kingdom here on earth, Peter's one of the major players for that. So we can learn from him some very important things as we look at the book that he wrote for us. Before we do that, we're just going to read the very end of chapter 7 and then the first three verses in chapter 8. It says that Stephen, remember Stephen? He was the one that was being stoned to death because of his witnessing his sermon that he just gave earlier in chapter 6 and 7. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, which means he died. And Saul was there giving his approval to his death. On that day, that same day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all the people, except for the apostles, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and he put them in prison. We'll stop there for this morning. The persecuted church. Many of us find this hard to relate to because we live in America. We live in the land of the free, free to worship God, free to come here this morning, free to have property established as a church, free from the government control. Like me, most of us have never actually experienced violence in real life. We hear about it on the news, but we haven't experienced it personally. There are some here this morning, those of you who have experienced war and the occupation of your homeland, your native country. You've experienced that in real life, some of you. Those of you that have experienced war and the occupation of your homeland may better understand how horrible persecution really can be. The Bible says that there will always be persecution against God's people. Jesus said to his disciples that the world will hate us because they hated him. And they hate his father as well. So as we see in the Bible, the early church faced severe persecution. Acts chapter 8 says that after Stephen was stoned to death, the church scattered out of Jerusalem. Many of them left in fear of their lives. Today, I want to tell you that that type of persecution is still going on. Maybe not here with us this morning, but with some people who sit here with us, that has been their experience. We are to grow in our understanding of this so we can pray and we can act and we can do what God's word instructs us to do. So this morning's message is an instruction on what are we to do about it. You see, it has been calculated that more Christians have been martyred in the 20th century than in all the previous centuries combined. Persecution has increased as the population of the earth has increased. The reason is in part because there are more Christians in non-Western countries than ever before. If you go back in history, Christianity was was centered originally in the Middle East. It moved its way out into parts of Africa and then up into Europe and became sort of a Western uh, religious movement that came across with the pilgrims and began to be established in the Americas. And so it's it's sort of been a uh, Western-focused 
movement of God. But now God has moved it south and moved it east. And so it has spread into countries that are not friendly necessarily to Christians. In 1960, some of you were alive then, in 1960, 70% of all born-again believers lived in North America, Canada and the United States. But today, 70% live in non-Western countries. And just as the early church was new and felt like a threat to those traditional societies and those cultures, so it is with active, growing churches in those countries today. Those countries feel threatened. And when someone feels threatened, you can either fight or flight, and often they fight. So while we don't face these dangers in central Massachusetts yet, there is persecution of our brothers and sisters around the world. We cannot turn a blind eye to it. We are told not to mention here, or not to mention Jesus in a public format. Don't mention him at school. Don't mention him in the workplace. Not because you'll be thrown into jail for it, but you will be ostracized. You may be corrected by your boss. So there is little inklings of it, even among us. But if it is, in, if it is to increase, as the Bible tells us it will increase in the end times, how do we prepare for it? So there's a couple of things I want us to consider this morning. First of all, since we will, we will face persecution in some form if we are to go out and tell the world about Jesus, how do we prepare our hearts for that? And secondly, what can and should we do today about our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world? So now we'll turn to the book of First Peter. Peter's the leader of the church there in Jerusalem, and Peter had something to say about persecution. First Peter is on page 1202 in the Blue Bible, or you've got to look it up in your, in your own glossary. It's a little book at the very end, not the very, very end, but very close to the end of the New Testament. Let's turn to First Peter because the leader of the church, the Apostle Peter, has something to teach us about both of those things. How do we prepare our own hearts for any type of persecution we may experience? And how do we prepare our hearts to come to the aid of those around the world? It's estimated 315 million Christians live in countries where they are persecuted for their, for their faith. This is not a small issue on the earth today. We may think of it as small because we're not seeing it. It's not in front of us, but it's happening all around the globe. So, Peter's writing to the early church, which is beginning to be persecuted, right here in the very beginning of the book of Acts, and which is going to be experiencing even greater persecution in the future. And so the Holy Spirit uses Peter's role to teach the church, to help them to prepare Peter tells them how they can prepare for persecution. How do they prepare themselves? And this will help us with our lesser situations of persecution that we may face, but also help us to help others. 
The first way is to remember that we are blessed if we suffer for Christ. I know that sounds strange, but 1 Peter 3.14, if you turn to chapter 3 of 1 Peter, let's read that. 1 Peter 3.14 tells us this. Even if you should suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. You are blessed. Verse 17 on that same chapter says, it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than to suffer for doing evil, right? So it's better to to suffer for doing good. Now, we don't like the word suffer. We always try to avoid suffering. We always try to put enough buffer between us and any suffering that we won't have to feel it. But Jesus clearly instructed his disciples that they would share in his sufferings. The world is not friendly to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we will be blessed because God is with us in the midst of that. First, First Peter 4.14, so just look on the next page over there. It says in 4.14, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. That kind of messes with our mind a little bit, doesn't it? How does blessing come from suffering? Well, because God comes and dwells with you. He rests with you. He gives you rest. He helps you through that time by drawing you close to himself. Now, remember, Jesus taught the same thing in the Beatitudes, which we see in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way that they persecuted, in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So persecution is part of our identity as believers in Christ. Now, we like the positive things that come with being a believer in Christ. We love the love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. We, we love those things. We want them to grow in our lives, but we don't want persecution to grow. It will come. We're not trying to invite it, but when it does come, God's blessing comes with it. God's blessing comes with it. Jesus says that we will be blessed because our reward in heaven will be great. It's not talking about your reward on earth. Many Christian believers have suffered on earth and died in that suffering. But their reward is great in heaven because we get to share in the ministry of the prophets, the people who came before us, because the kingdom of God is expanding through believers today, just as it has been expanding through all time since Christ has come. So the suffering will be temporary. In fact, the Apostle Paul teaches us in Romans 8, 8, 18. He said, I consider our present sufferings, the things that we're struggling with now because of our faith, are not even worth comparing 
with the glory that will be revealed in us. Suffering brings glory. Glory and a revelation of who we are in Christ when we see him face to face. Another way that we can prepare is found in verse 15. But if your hearts are set apart in Christ, put your hearts in Christ and you find that blessing. What this means is that we are to set Christ up as the Lord on the thrones of our hearts. He gets the first place in our lives. He gets the most energy, the most attention, the most of our thoughts, the most of our actions. Christ receives that place as king in our hearts. This means that Christ will rule not only our, in our desires and, and in our emotions. It means that he will take the precedent over our own will, what we think we want, because he has a greater plan. We don't want to suffer to be martyred. But if it is God's will, we are to receive that. Now, we get this because this is what Christ did for us. Christ, when he prayed in the garden, as he faced what he knew would be his death, he said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. It also means that we will not let fear be on that throne. Now, this is, this is difficult because our emotions can be powerful. Our emotions sometimes feel like they're going to overwhelm us, and sometimes they do. But if Christ is on the throne, then fear can't be on the throne as well. Only one person is on the throne. There's only one throne in your heart. It could be you before you came to Christ. And then you turn over the leadership of your life to Christ, to the Spirit. But when fear comes in, don't let it steal the throne. Don't let it, don't let it get in there and start to rule you. This is easier said than done, and we need the power of the Spirit in order to do it. But remember, Hebrews 13.6 says this, The Lord, he's my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Hebrews 13.6. What can man do to me? Well, we can imagine all kinds of things that man can do to us. So he must be talking about not just his physical body, not just his mental capacity. He's talking about his spirit. His spirit is in Christ, protected forever, eternally in Christ. And no one can snatch you out of God's hands. No, one can, can, no man can take that from Christ. So you are secure in Christ. So that's what he's talking about. He says, the Lord is my helper. I don't need to be afraid because what can man do to me, to my soul, to, to who I truly am? Romans 8, 25 is a great reminder of this. Romans 8, 25 says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? The answer is no one, no man anyway. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness 
or danger or sword. Now, why do you think the Apostle Paul is writing all of these things? Because Christians around the world need to hear this, need to believe this, need to know that even if they get into a hard situation with persecution, if they're going through a famine in their country, if there's, if there's all kinds of trouble that takes away their, their material possessions so that they have nothing, or they're even being threatened by military or sword, right? They do not have to fear because nothing can separate them from Christ. It's called eternal security. We have eternal security. It's not security forever here on earth with all the stuff we have and all the things, that you, the alarms we put on our house and the alarm we have on our car and everything. We, we, we try to protect everything. God in Christ protects his people from all things. Because he's victorious over all things. He's already defeated Satan. He's already de- defeated every evil spirit. Everything is, is under his feet, is under his control. And so our confidence is in God's ability to bring us through and to bring us to the finish line and to get us into his presence forever where none of those things can exist because God is in ultimate control of that environment. So we get to a place of total surrender with him when we understand his love for us. When we get to a place where we can say, God, you ultimately are all that matters. My relationship with you through Christ is all that matters. That's what's going to get me through. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go as long as you go with me. And God has promised to never leave us or forsake us. So he's promised to go with us even through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, the psalmist writes, for you are with me. Let's just say that together. You are with me, God. You are with me in no matter what situation. So another way that we can prepare for for persecution besides those ways of understanding that and remembering that is found in verse 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And don't forget the next sentence. Let's read that together. But do this with gentleness and respect. You know, there's a lot of rude people who call themselves Christians. They like to insult people. They like to say horrible things about people who don't know the truth of Jesus Christ. I don't know that they're Christians because that doesn't sound like Christ. It doesn't feel like Christ. But if you were to give a true answer and maybe even a blunt answer, but do it in gentleness and with respect, that sounds like Christ. That sounds like Jesus. So when people lose lose that and they start to to go back into the flesh and they start to treat people, mm, we have to pray for them, that God would continue to sanctify them and to make them more like Christ. Yes, we are to bring the truth, but we're not here to like beat people up with it. We're not here to insult people with it. We are to have compassion for the lost and to guide them and to help them to find Jesus. Amen? So this doesn't mean that we need to be able to actually answer every theological or doctrinal question really well. Yes, we should strive to know God's word, But we're not all going to be theologians, right? That's not the point that this verse is telling us. We should always be able to explain the basis for the hope that we have. And this hope is Jesus. 
You should always be able to draw a line if someone asks you, draw a line in your life back to Jesus, back to who he is as your Lord and as your Savior. If you can draw that line, if you can tell that story, then you are being a good witness for Christ. You don't have to know everything about predestination and and all of those things, but, but you do need to know Jesus. You need to know that he's real, and you need to know what he did for you. If you can draw that line with your words, you can help people by giving them that answer for the hope that's in you. That's important that we can explain that in the world today. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9 says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Is that true of you? I mean, we didn't live, you know, 2,000 years ago with Jesus, so we haven't physically seen him, but do you love him? Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him even now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. When you get that going and flowing in your everyday life, It brings joy because regardless of even what happens in this world, in this present time, you have this eternal salvation that brings you joy, an inexpressible joy. So first of all, you know, we didn't get to see him physically, but we can love him and we can believe in him and we can receive that salvation that he has given us, that hope and that joy. So that even in the midst of difficulty or persecution, We'll be strong witnesses for him. But we also encourage one another. This is our role, that we do not get discouraged, but that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. This is what happened, we talked about last week, when when Stephen was dying, when Stephen had already been thrown into the pit and they were throwing rocks down on him. He looked beyond his present situation and he saw Jesus. In the testimony that we have in the, in the word of God, which we can trust, it says he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Even though rocks were hitting his head and his face and his body, he could see through that difficulty to see Christ. That is something that only the power of God can help you to do, right? The reason for the hope that he had was because he could see Christ. He could see the finish line. So we are not to get discouraged But we are to see Christ even in the midst of our difficulties and know that he is with us. We do this in the power of the Spirit. We don't try to approach people in arrogance, you know, saying that we're better than you or we've got it all figured out. We do it gently and meekly. We're not to do it in anger, but in an act of forgiveness. Stephen, when he was dying, just like Christ when he was dying, he said, Father, don't hold these sins against them. He's talking about his murderers. He's talking about the people who were killing him. Father, don't hold this sin against them. Wow. That's the power of God. That's the power of God in him, speaking through him, with the compassion of God. Because he doesn't want them to die in their sin. He wants them to find the redemption that Christ gives us. This illustrates a fourth way that we can prepare. We need to prepare for persecution by being filled with the Spirit of God. 
filled with the Holy Spirit, keeping a clear conscience with the Holy Spirit, walking in the light, walking according to God's word, obeying him, obeying him as he speaks to us throughout the day. This is important for us. If we can take this attitude, even when we're being treated badly, it turns things upside down for people, even our attackers, right? Romans 12, 20, Paul, again, tells us, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Your enemy, if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, that's a saying, and everybody's sort of tried to research that and figure out what does that mean or whatever. I just figure that it means you're just going to turn him upside down. He's going to go, what? What is happening here? I'm, I'm your enemy, and you're being nice to me. Like he, he, He's going to get so crazy, like the steam comes out of his ears because he can't figure out these Christians. He can't figure out why, they're, why are you being kind to me? I'm being mean to you. And it's because of Christ. It gives us that opportunity to bring Christ into the situation. So if not at this time, that person, if they don't find Christ, will be ashamed on the day of judgment. The fifth way to face persecution is to remember the example of Christ. In 1 Peter 3, verse 18, it says, For Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. You see, Christ suffered not for the sake of suffering. Christ suffered for the sake of salvation, to bring salvation, to bring us to God. That's the good that comes out of suffering. I know that's hard for our American minds to think through, but it is true. Suffering can be used to bring people to Christ when they see the example of Christ in you, especially if we suffer in a way that glorifies God and we've been called to follow his example. 1 Peter 2, look, look at verse 21. First Peter 2, 21 says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Again, not a popular verse, not a popular topic, but an important one. And you find it as you read God's word, you find it again and again and again. With all these things in mind, we'll be prepared to endure whatever persecution may come to us. But does that mean that we just preach this message to those who are now being martyred, those who are being suffering now in the name of Christ? I don't think so. We're not to tell them like to rejoice and, and sort of walk away as they suffer. God wants us to act on their behalf so that their persecution might end. Hebrews 13.3 says, Remember those who are in prison as if you were a fellow prisoner with them. In other words, put yourself in their shoes. And remember those who are being mistreated as if you yourself were suffering. So this identifying with those who are going through hard times is part of our identity as Christians. It's part of our faith. 
We are to remember them. We are to, 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 to look at life as though we were in their situation. And we are to feel compassion for them. We are to suffer in a sense with them as they suffer. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, If one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We're called to pray for those who are persecuted. We are called to come alongside and to feel what they're feeling. We are to thank God that they are witnessing for him and that they are an example, but we are to pray that their persecution would bring people to repentance, would bring people to salvation. We are to pray that the leaders of the land that they're in, that allow that kind of persecution to take place, that those leaders would be replaced or that they would be made new again in Christ and change their minds and change their policies. We're going to look at a few examples of what we can do. But before we do that, I want us to talk about China. China is a very, very, very big country with a billion people plus. And there are Christians living there under that communist country, similar to the communism that Olga and Yasha came from. But there's a short two-minute video, I want to put it on now, that I found on the news that I wanted us to think about. Because there are different ways in which Christians are persecuted. And in China, uh, they're being watched. Right now, there's, there's not too much pressure on them. There's, there's some. You ready, Andrea? Okay. Let's watch the this Chinese for a minute. The Chinese Communist Party once tried to destroy Christianity. But today, the aim is to control it. So, an officially atheist government effectively runs its own churches like this one and oversees the appointment of priests, all too happy to toe the party line. We have to remember, first of all, we are the citizen of this country, the citizen of the country, and, uh, and we are the citizen of the kingdom of God. Uh, that comes second. If Jesus were alive today, do you think he would have been comfortable with a Communist Party government in China? Absolutely. I think so. I think so. Over the past few years, though, the government has been further tightening its grip. Hundreds of crosses have been torn off churches in eastern China, and a national campaign has been launched to develop what the authorities call a Chinese version of Christianity. There are plenty of people who refuse to accept the authority of the Communist Party over their faith. Inside, this building is one of the hundreds of underground or home churches in this city. And just here, you can see the small security booth that church members say has been set up specifically to monitor their activities. Let's go and meet them. Over the years, some of those in this room have been detained for their beliefs, and they say they would surrender their freedom again to defend their right to worship as they choose. Official churches are in fact just political institutes. It is impossible for us to leave Jesus and follow the party. There have been worse times to be a religious believer in China. 
But with the Communist Party once again tightening its grip, a growing Christian church is viewed as a threat. John Sudworth, BBC News, Beijing. The underground church is the strongest church uh, probably on the earth today. Those who resist the control of the government and resist the control of the government leaders uh, often have to go underground, have to have home churches. Have to, and right now in China, they're being watched. In the past, they were being arrested. Um, they were being put in prison and hard labor camps and things like that. We've heard about that. And it still feels far away. Even though it's, it's millions of people, it still feels far away. But I want you to meet a few people now. We're going to end with this, sort of this time of prayer because I, I want us to think about what we can do. We're going to pray, but another thing we can do is write to people. We can write to um, the pastor that Olga and Yasha are, are associated with in Belarus. We can encourage him. Um, they recently had their building taken away and then they were meeting in the parking lot and now they are banned from meeting in the parking lot. Um, and so their pastor received a fine because they did do that and there's all kinds of uh, pressure on them. Some of the things that we can do is get to know some of our refugees in the area who have come from countries where there's persecution. Um, we have uh, a, a, a fellow here is a new member of our church, John Hallisey. He comes from uh, the DRC, which is the D Democratic Republic of Congo. And in Congo, in the eastern part of the country, there's violence, uh, terrible violence against uh, Christians in their homes, in their villages, um, who are taken as prisoner, who are forced uh, out of their homes, and who are killed as well. Um, so, John, come up. We're going to ask a few people to pray. John's going to come up. Olga's going to come up uh, from Belarus. John will come up. We're going to pray and, uh, with you. John said he's going to pray in his own language because that's most comfortable for him. Olga, you can pray in English because uh, you are already an interpreter in many ways. Um, and I just wanted to give you an example of ways that we are connected um, is there a family here from Vietnam? Why don't, you, why don't you come forward? You stand with us. Okay, this is John Hallisey. All right, this is Olga and Quan. Quan. Quan is new to the church as well, but he is from Vietnam where there also is persecution uh, on, on believers and we want to be praying for. So I'm just going to hand the mic to you and then to you and then to you and just lead us in prayer and then we'll close with a closing song. So Olga, you go first. Dear God, today we thank you for the wonderful service we have here in America, for your words of encouragement, but we also pray for the people around the world. I specifically pray for the people of Belarus, as you, have, you see what difficulties they have to go through. I pray for three things today. I pray for your protection for the people as they get together outside in the parking lot or in their homes at a threat of being arrested and of being harmed. But I also pray for the peace in people that despite of all the difficulties, they will have peace in you. And moreover, I pray for boldness, 
that you will give them more boldness to go and share the word, to make disciples, to preach your word, because that's what they want, and that's what you want. In the midst of all the difficulties, let's help them to be bold in you and to establish your kingdom in the darkest places of this country. And help us to always keep them in your prayer, in our prayers, and to support them and to know that you are God, despite anything which is going on. And we are your people, no matter where we are. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for giving us such an opportunity to be the prayer warriors for all those countries in the world. Amen. Do you mind praying? Yeah, I pray. But I can pray for the Vietnamese language. So, yes. And then my kids can hear us too. Yes, he's, he's going to pray in Vietnamese. Okay. Um, dear my father, thank you. Um, you already join us. You already join me. And I will be, I, the one is being your son of God. Thank you, Father. Chúa ơi, con cảm tạ ơn cha, cảm tạ tình yêu thương, cha thương xót, cha dình giữ chúng con. Chúa ơi, sáng hôm nay cha lại cho chúng con được đến đền thờ của cha để rồi à, cha ơi, thờ phượng cha và nhìn thấy những cái cảnh mà ở à, ở China. Chúa ơi, à, they have very bad time over there. Xin cha thương xót ở cùng. Chúa ơi, protect uh, our brother or sister. We heard we are all family of God. Xin cho thương xót mà ở cùng với chúng con. Chúng con cảm tạ ơn cha nhiều lắm và con cầu nguyện trong danh Chúa Giêsu Christ. Amen. Baba katika jina la Yesu Kristo tunaombea nchi yetu ya Kongo baba utukumbuki Angalia vita inakuja kwenye inchi yetu watu wanakufa kila siku asubuhi kama vile magharibi tunakuhitaji onekana kuwa msaada kwa ajili ya inchi yetu usituachilie wala roho wako mtakatifu asituachilie tunahitaji protection yako kwa ajili ya inchi yetu usituachilie utukumbuke wale wanaokufa usiku kama mchana baba kumbuka wale wangali wangali hai usiwaachilie tenda miujiza aonekana kwa msaada kwa ajili ya inchi yetu tunakulilia tunajua wewe ndiye kimbilio letu msaada unaonekana wakati wa mateso tunakimbilia kwako wengine wanakimbilia kwa wafumu wachawi walozi lakini sisi tunakimbilia kwako na tunajua tutapata msaada kwa uwezo wa china la Yesu Kristo aliye bwana na mwokozi wa maisha yetu amen Thank you. Thank you to these. Thank you very much. Praise the Lord. So these are the members of our church. They're right here with us representing these countries that are still suffering because of the persecution that's presently taking place. So, I wanted you to hear them and I want you to bind your hearts to them and to their people so that you can pray for them in the coming days and coming weeks. There's a resource I also want the church to become familiar with. It's called Open Door. I think we have the website. Yeah. Open Door. If you have your phone, you can put that in there. This is the opendoorusa.org is the website. Open Door serves the persecuted churches and has been has been watching over. They have like a watch list to get reports 
so that we can pray, but also so that we can act. There's ways to volunteer with Open Door, where you can stand with believers around the world who are, who are needing encouragement, writing them letters. There's uh, things that you can do uh, by connecting yourself with this type of ministry as well. So put it in your phone or look at it this week. But we really want to be a church that cares about our brothers and sisters all around the world. We live in a culture that only cares about self. Everything's about us. Everything's about what we want. But we are part of a family of believers from every nation and every tribe and every tongue that one day will worship Jesus together in some kind of mind-blowing way. It's going to be amazing, right? So let's remember that. Let's not forget. When we read through the book of Acts and we see the, the difficulties that they go through, don't just think, oh, that was history, that was a long time ago, that doesn't matter anymore. It's now, it's today, and we are called to pray and to be brothers and sisters with people we haven't even met yet, but some who are right here in our church right now. So please get to know these people. There are more here uh, than just these three, but I wanted you to get a little flavor of what God is doing, because God is calling us to be a house of prayer for all nations, every nation in the world needs the prayers that we can offer to God. Amen?